0: Father, you invite us into life with you, the adoption as sons and daughters. So you care about sons, you care about daughters, and you welcome kids and students into eternal life, and Jesus, you are good. Father, we trust you that you are at work in this place. We trust you, that you are faithful to your promise. We thank you, Jesus, that you didn't love us from afar, but that you took on our humanity and you loved us all the way. You loved us, you couldn't love us more, and you won't ever love us less. There's nothing that we have done that makes you love us, and there's nothing we can do that would make you stop I pray that the hope of the gospel would capture our hearts. I pray that it would go down deep in our hearts this morning. And that would lead us to be fearless. Not just to fear less, but to be fearless. Because you, Jesus, have done your saving work on our behalf. Lord, we pray, help. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage that we're going to look at in our teaching this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2. So I'd invite you to turn there. We're going to look at Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Hey, as I read this, follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. But listen, this is God's word to us. Therefore, since the children... "...share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives." For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. This is God's word. Hey, how many of y'all have flown more than twice? Raise your hand if you've flown more than twice. Keep your hand up if it makes you just a little bit nervous to fly. Wow, that's about right. The internet says that 33 to 40% of people have some measure of anxiety when they fly for most people like that doesn't cause them to stop flying they still go on trips they still go on vacation they still tour now for some it immobilizes them You ever heard of John Madden? John Madden was a Hall of Fame football coach. He won a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders. He went on to become a broadcaster for CBS and had a very long career doing that. He was terrified to fly. So he rode a bus everywhere he went. Now, when you're John Madden, you can do that. You can avoid your fears. But what if What if the thing that you were afraid of was unavoidable? What if it was something that was going to come for every single person? Listen, I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but none of us are getting out of this alive. We all have a 100% chance of death. Does it ever make you wonder, when I see the mortality rates, like, the mortality rate is 100%. None of us are getting out of this alive. Is there a solution? Because the mention of death makes many of you uncomfortable. And some of you, it causes you to be filled with fear. Can anything be done about our fear of death? The Bible says, the passage I just read, says that everyone is held captive by the fear of death. And that our fear of death is something that our enemy, the devil, uses against our hearts And I want us this morning to learn that the message of Christmas is about overcoming the fear of death. Now, you are closest to Christmas. So this week, we're going to unpack Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and we're going to learn that Jesus sets us free from the fear of death on Friday night, I'm going to stand on this, in this same place, and I'm going to tell many, many lost people who are far from Jesus and far from Christmas the same message that Jesus sets us free from fear. But I want to give you the insiders, the people closest to Christmas, the opportunity to hear the hope that we have in Christmas to learn again what Christmas is all about so that maybe, maybe you'll be more likely this week to join Jesus in his grand missionary cause Of taking this message of hope, the freedom from the fear of death, to your neighborhoods, to your workplaces, to your schools, to your gyms, to the places that you play, so that people can hear the hope that we have through the gospel. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. Now we're going to look at three questions this morning. Number one, what is Christmas? Number two, how does Jesus free us from the fear of death? Number three, what difference does that make? What difference does it make? So what is Christmas? Look at verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also... Uh, He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus frees us from the fear of death. What is Christmas about? It's about Jesus coming on a rescue mission to set captives free. Now, if you ask the people in your office or the people in your neighborhood or the people in your school, what's Christmas all about? You're going to get many, many things that I call the silly part of Christmas. They're good things, but they're less important than what Christmas is really all about. If you press a little further and you say, but what about Jesus? Is there anything about Jesus in Christmas? The answer you'll get about Jesus probably will sound something like this. Christians, if you press your non-Christian neighbors, friends, co-workers, family members about Christmas and Jesus, what they, they will say is something like this. Christians... Remember the birth of Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, on Christmas Day, and they believe that he is worth following, but you can take it or leave it. That is not what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not the day we remember the birth of a human being, Jesus. Christmas is about celebrating an invasion of this world by God himself. That Jesus Christ came to rescue us from the fear of death. Now let's follow what happens in verses 14 and 15. The first thing we learn is that we are human. We are flesh and blood. We are human beings. What does, that rem- what does that mean? It means that we are created. We are created. And since we're created, we depend upon God for everything. We're flesh and blood, created, dependent beings who are made in the image of God but we're scarred by sin. We're made to depend in loving trust to look to God as our Heavenly Father for everything. And yet our hearts turn away from Him. Rather than trusting Him, we question Him. Rather than following Him, we turn aside from Him. Rather than glorifying Him, we seek to make much of ourselves. That's the human condition. That is what it means that we are made flesh and blood, that we are human. Second, Christmas means that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on human flesh. That without ceasing to be God, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He stepped into our world. He took on our flesh so that God could do something for us. What is it? So he could die. Jesus put on humanity and the limitations of humanity so that as our substitute, he could die in our place he himself partook of the same that through death and why did he die to accomplish something for us to set us free to render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and set us free from the fear of death now that is what Christmas is about. It's about God seeing us, his creatures, scarred by sin and in need of a savior and not leaving us alone in our captivity to the fear of death, but sending his son, Jesus, to set us free through his death in our place. And the only way he could die in our place is if he took our place, being fully God and fully man. Now the best the best of our songs that we sing on Christmas point this out. So here's the words of hark the herald angels sing. Mild he lays his glory by. He took on our flesh, he took on our humanity. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. That's good. That's good news. That's the message of Christmas. You should say, nah, that's kind of boring. Well, let me me say what Martin Luther said. This is far less boring. This is Martin Luther's great battle hymn of the Christian life. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. That's a little more exciting. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body They may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. The great cause of Christmas is that heaven has invaded earth to set captives free. There is no room for us who are closest to Christmas to ever be bored with what Jesus has done. He's gone into mortal combat with our great enemy, Satan, and he's come out victorious. There was a power reigning over this world, this good world that God had created, and God couldn't stand it, so he sent his son, Jesus, to set everything right, to set captives free. That's good news. But listen... The reason it's good news becomes even more amazing when we go a little bit further in understanding how Jesus did this great work of setting us free from the fear of death. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, what is propitiation? That's a big word. Don't be afraid of it. Here's what it means. J.I. Packer says this, It is a sacrifice that averts wrath. That cleared it up, right? Makes perfect sense. J. Uh, John Piper, in his sermon on this passage in Hebrews 2, says this, If there is no God, there is no fear and death. If there's no God, there's no fear and death. If there's no God, the blip can be right. But there is a God. And He is holy, holy, holy. There is a God. And He is an infinite, personal God whose character, all the way down, is holy pure, morally pure, completely other, distinct from his creation, and yet making in his creation one creature, man, who's capable of relating to him. But what have we done? Against this holy, holy, holy God, we have turned away and our sin, isn't just a disappointment to God, but a rejection of God. It doesn't just break his rules, it breaks his heart. Against him, him only, have I sinned and done that which is evil in his sight. Now, this holy, holy, holy God that I have sinned against, what can I expect as a result of my rejection of Him? Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed for man once to die and after this comes judgment. That one day each of us will have to give an account before God of all that we've thought or said or done. Now, by this point, you're realizing that I'm in big trouble. And so are you. That if there is an infinite personal God who's holy, 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 and I have sinned against him in thought and word and deed, and there is a judgment to come in which none of us are getting away with anything... What can I expect from this holy, holy, holy God because of my sin at His judgment? What I can expect is to be separated from Him and everything good. To hear the words, the saddest words in all the Bible, depart from me all who do evil. I never knew you. Now, Packer helps us. No doubt it is true that the subject of divine wrath has in the past been handled speculatively, irreverently, even malevolently. No doubt there have been some who have preached of wrath and damnation with tearless eyes and no pain in their hearts. No doubt the sight of small sex cheerfully consigning the whole world apart from themselves to hell has disgusted many. Yet, if we would know God, it is vital that we face the truth concerning his wrath, however unfashionable it may be and however strong our initial prejudice against it. The heart of the gospel That Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death on the cross as our substitute and sin bearer, is the propitiation for our sins. Between us and the thunderclouds of divine wrath stands the cross. Jesus took on our humanity so that he could die in our place. He occupied a manger so that he could conquer Through a cross. Jesus Christ took on our humanity to die in our place. That's how He rendered powerless Him who had the power over death. That's how He set us free from the fear of death. Because now, in Christ, because of what He's done for me, I'm forgiven, I'm given the gift of eternal life. Christ has substituted him, his place, taken my place as my substitute on the cross. How does that get in my life? When I repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said in Mark 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Turn from following after your own desires and trust in Christ that He has done it all for you. Turn from even your good works and trust in Christ's work on your behalf. Have you... Have you placed your trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel? If you have, he has set you free from the fear of death. If you haven't, won't you? Won't you turn from your sin and trust in Christ? You can do it right where you're sitting or come up after the service. I would be happy to talk with you more about what Christ has done for us on the cross. He has set us free. Now, so what? What should I expect to happen as a result of that work of Jesus on my behalf? When you read through verses 14 through 18, you heard two times the word therefore. In fact, if you just look at this page in your Bibles, you'll see the word therefore four or five times. The gospel is meant to help us. The gospel is meant to become a therefore in our life. The gospel is meant to move in and to set captives free. Is it doing that in your life? How can we, this week, begin to live fearlessly? How can you you and I begin to live fearlessly? It does not happen by trying harder to be fearless. There's a YouTube video. Uh, This guy decided for a year that, that he would maybe it wasn't a year, for some period of time, he decided that he would just intentionally put himself in, in horribly embarrassing, impossible situations. Because he wanted to train himself to be fearless. So he would walk up to the McDonald's counter with an empty cup, and he'd say, "Hey, I'm here for my refill of my chocolate shake. I'm here with an empty tray for my second hamburger. And they would say, well, you don't get a second hamburger? That's not how a human heart really experiences freedom from fear. You might condition your heart externally to overcome some fears that way, but real, deep, calm assurance only comes through the gospel. Deep, calm assurance of faith. Only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? Listen, only Jesus Christ can set you free. Listen, are you afraid of rejection? The gospel tells you that Jesus Christ was rejected for you. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't Jesus Christ wants you to not fear rejection. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ was rejected for you. Are you afraid of pain? Jesus Christ on the cross suffered for you. Are you afraid of loss? Jesus Christ was abandoned. For you, to save you, are you afraid of shame? Jesus Christ hung naked on a garbage dump in full view of hundreds of people for you. Are you afraid of guilt? The penalty has been paid in full for you. Are you afraid of persecution? He endured hostility by sinners against himself for you. Are you afraid of the unknown? Jesus Christ has gone first for you. And he said we could trust him that he has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. See, it's only the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us, that enables us who are closest to Christmas to learn to live fearlessly. FDR was right. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I want you to fear your fears because your fears can tell you something about your heart. Fear your fears, chase your fears down, ask your fears, what are you really afraid of? And then go to Jesus and see that in Jesus, the work that needed to be done to take away your fear has been done for you, not by you. Religion wants to throw your fears back on your fears and asks you to work really, really hard to get out of your fear. That's conditioning. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus has done for you. So chase down your fears, trace them down to the source, and then let Jesus, through the cross, go to battle for you. See his work on your behalf. That's how we live fearlessly. What would happen this week if hundreds of people feared less by being fearless in the gospel? What would happen this week If we in our homes began to preach the gospel to our fears, in our schools began to preach the gospel to our fears, in our neighborhoods began to preach the gospel to our fears, you know what would happen? You might, with a shaking hand, go knock on the door of your neighbor and say, won't you join us on Friday night to hear about the one who can meet our fearful times With his grace, he's done it all for you. Believe that and you will not fear. Let's pray. Jesus, the gospel is our hope that you have done it all so that we could have it all. A life of freedom from the fear of death a life of freedom from captivity to sin and all its entanglements, free from its penalty once and for all, no more guilt, no more shame. And every time our accuser, our enemy, the devil, raises his head and opens his mouth to say to us again words of accusation and condemnation, Jesus, we want to hear your rule from heaven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have no fear in death because you've died for us. Father, if there's any here, who are still far from you, living in unbelief, turned away from you, Lord, would you work by your Holy Spirit to turn them toward Christ? If you sense in your heart a desire to put your trust in Christ alone this morning as he's been offered to you in the gospel, won't you? Won't you say to him now, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Jesus, I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you alone. I believe that you died in my place as my substitute. You bore the penalty that my sin deserves. Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead. You did that for me. Jesus, I'll follow you all the days of my life if you would help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, may you this week stir in our hearts a fearlessness and would you fill every gospel-preaching church in this city with people to hear the good news of great joy which will be for all the peoples that one has been born to save their people from their sins. We pray in your name.